Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Q for Two, your podcast companion for learning all about your favorite scream, I mean theme, park attractions. Whether listening six feet under or while waiting in the queue, we'll fill you in on all the information you need to get the most out of your ride experience. I'm your host, your ghost host, Ryan, and joining me as always is the spooky, scary Matthew. Today, we're talking about the history and hidden secrets behind our favorite ride in Disney's Liberty Square, the Haunted Mansion. <clears throat> uh, uh, excuse me, had uh, something in my throat. So, uh, yeah, Matthew, we're talking about the Haunted Mansion today. What are your thoughts about the Haunted Mansion? Is this a must-ride for you every time you go to the park? I, I Wow, just what an intro. Um, I know you had said you were giving me something special, but that was absolutely wonderful. Haunted Mansion, where to even start? Yes, the Haunted Mansion is 100% a must-ride every single time, every time I go to the theme parks. It might be one of the only rides in Liberty Square, but it is most definitely my favorite ride in that area of the park. I feel like the Haunted Mansion is the ultimate re-ride value at Walt Disney. Oh, yeah. Because there's just so much going on on that ride. Yeah, for sure. It's like every time your eyes are going to catch to something else, you're never going to see the same thing twice if you're trying to look somewhere else. I'm excited to talk about Easter eggs because I know there's a bunch of them. And then just you get out of the heat. You get out of the Florida heat. We can talk all about that in a little bit. But man, I love this ride and I will never stop talking about this ride. Absolutely. And there are so many Easter eggs and so many fun little secrets hidden on this ride. I've got to say right out the gate, if we were going to cover every single thing on the Haunted Mansion, this podcast would be... We're talking like five, six hours long, maybe even longer. So we are not going to hit everything today. We are going to hit some of the high points that I found in my research that I think are the most fun to me personally. For all of y'all listeners at home, if we don't hit on a fact for the Haunted Mansion that is one of your favorites, let us know in the comments. We would love to hear about it. It might be something that I came across or it might be something we don't know about. But we would love to hear your opinions and hear your favorite parts of this amazing attraction. No, don't lie to the people. There's a six-hour cut of this episode. Release the Ryan cut. The Snyder cut of the Q for Two podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Matthew, without further ado, I think we should go ahead and dive into the history for this attraction. When we are talking about the history of the Haunted Mansion, we have to go back to the beginning. Much like Jungle Cruise, a form of the Haunted Mansion was always on Walt's mind for designing his theme park. In this case, we actually go back even a little bit further than the Jungle Cruise to the original idea for a ghost house coming as early as 1951 when Walt was planning the original Mickey Mouse Park, which was supposed to be basically the first smaller iteration of Disneyland that was planned for construction originally right across the street from the animation studio. However, their permit situation for that land had gotten denied over the course of like a two-year-long process of trying to plan for this. And so ultimately, the project expanded to Disneyland that we know today. And Walt was able to purchase the land in Anaheim to realize that dream. 
an Imagineer that we've talked about before on the podcast, Harper Goff, who, for those of y'all that have listened to the previous episodes of Q for Two, might remember as the one who drew out the track for the Jungle Cruise. He actually was involved in making the sketches of the original design for the first iteration of Walt's Ghost House. The goat himself, Harper Goff. What a man. He always gives. He's a giver. (laughs) Now, the original idea for the Disneyland attraction, much like the early iterations of Pirates of the Caribbean, was designed to be a walkthrough attraction. When you're talking about walkthrough attractions, one of the biggest concerns is in capacity. Now, concern for capacity for going through this ride would be one of the biggest concerns that would delay the production of this ride by several years, considering early designs would only have been able to move a couple hundred people per hour, which when you think about modern standards for pushing crowds through, that is an insanely low number. Oh, yeah. And of course, when you have a place as popular as Disney, you need something that is going to eat up those crowds. Gobble, gobble. Eat them up. In addition to the capacity issue, there were other delays involved in this project, including Imagineers being diverted to projects for the 1964-1965 World's Fair, as discussed in previous episodes around this time period. But the main issue in holding back the construction and execution for this ride were actually finding the story and tone that they wanted to tell. And this journey that we're about to go on in the history of finding the story and the pacing for the Haunted Mansion is a little over a decade-long journey to figure this out, which, you know, we kind of think about the Imagineers being these masters of storytelling. And ultimately, I mean, they still are. They came up with an amazing attraction, but there were a lot of pieces along the way that we're going to get into here shortly. The storyline for this attraction went through several different proposed iterations in the early stages of designing the proposed walkthrough attraction. The story originally was set to follow a Bartholomew Gore and his wife Priscilla. Essentially, guests would walk through the mansion, you would discover alongside Priscilla this horrific second life that Bartholomew had as pirate Black Bart Roberts, which after the discovery, he would murder his wife and be haunted by her, as well as multiple of his past victims that would eventually push him to end up hanging himself. Now, this is a pretty dark story. Yeah. (laughs) And so this story was ultimately scrapped because of its incredibly dark nature. Now, can you imagine a story like that just being a e-ticket attraction in a Disney park? No, I definitely can't. It's one of those that it's like, there is definitely story on a lot of these rides. And I guess the question would have been how upfront they would have been about the story. Would they have been like pretty clear or would it have just been like a fun little spooky ride? And like, you would have to really dive into it deep to figure out what was going on. Anytime you add someone hanging though, that's like an extra level. Was it related with the whole pirates thing? Did they want it to be related to pirates at all? Or was this Sorry, I'm really bad with times. Yeah, so to kind of address both of those questions, the first one in terms of how obvious all these things would be, yeah, from what I can tell in the storyboards and everything, these would be front and center. There was no subtlety to them. All of these dark things were just straight up out in the open. Oh, wow. Now, in terms of the pirate theming, this goes hand in hand with the plans for Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. So in the very early stages when they were talking about this, They had intended the attraction to be on Main Street, 
But then when they were gearing up for opening of the park and they were planning future expansions and they started thinking about New Orleans Square, this was going to go in the same area as the Pirates of the Caribbean walkthrough attraction. And so they were trying to make it Pirates New Orleans right. okay. Bayou. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the pirate side of this story makes sense to the setting that they were going to put it in. And there are future iterations of the story that continued to have pirate elements to them. But yeah, the original story for this attraction was super dark and Walt gave it a, a two thumbs down. Understandable. We all know Walt was a secret pirate. So that's why he was like, oh, can't have this. We got enough pirates in this park. <laughs> <laughs> so after Walt gave this the no-go, there were several other story iterations that were developed over a short period of time, all of which got a similar boot. Another story iteration was set around Disney essentially bringing an entire house from the Deep South in New Orleans to California. So they would say this house would be the 100-year-old Bloodmere Manor that would be relocated from New Orleans. The Bloodmere family, a fictional family that they would establish for this story, would have met a series of tragic deaths prior to the house becoming vacant. The family would continue to haunt the manor, basically thwarting Disney construction crews attempting to repair the interior. And the main story centered around the wedding of the Bloodmere daughter, who essentially at that event was where many of the family met their tragic ends with a roof cave in at the ceremony, killing all of the attendees. So this family of ghosts would have to gather every 150 years to repeat the wedding to attempt to lift the curse. Okay, got it. So less dark than the first iteration, for sure. Still a lot of death, but again, you got ghosts, so definitely not as dark. So, okay, I'm, I'm liking this one a little bit. Definitely heading in the right direction. And there was a fun little side bit that there would have been a gift shop that on your way out would have uh, sold slices of wedding cake. Oh, okay. That would have been good because you know that cake would have been good. It would definitely be a fun little gimmick and I could definitely see that working. But there were a lot of issues with that story in terms of this being a walkthrough attraction. Yeah, for sure. Now, another iteration actually focused on Walt Disney himself that would be escorting guests through a haunted manor in both hologram and like disembodied voice forms. And then yet another story iteration would actually tie in the intellectual property, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, from the Walt Disney movie production with The Headless Horseman. I like The Headless Horseman. The Walt doing it is a little bit weird because obviously it's like while he was alive, it's one thing. But then once he, you know, sadly passed away, that would have been an extra level of like, oh, it's Walt's ghost. That would have been, I don't know how I feel about that, but I do like the Sleepy Hollow. I think that would have been interesting. It could have been a very strange element having the Walt ghost-esque thing. I absolutely agree. <laughs> right. I think the Sleepy Hollow would have been a neat tie-in because, of course, in that same movie that Walt Disney produced, you had the story of Ichabod Crane, but then you also had Mr. Toad. And we already have a Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, so it would have been neat to have a Sleepy Hollow tie-in at Disneyland. Oh, yeah. But essentially, Imagineer Ken Anderson, who was originally in charge of the character and story design through all of these different story iterations, he ultimately 
from what I can tell in the history, got kind of fed up with pitching all these stories and having them slapped down. <laughs> so he eventually ended up moving on from working on this attraction in 1958, and he moved on to continue his work on Disney animation films, including Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians. So when he left the project, the story design for this ride was then passed on to Imagineers Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump. And Raleigh Crump was known for a lot of his work with articulating sculptures. So he produced the Tower of the Four Winds at the 1964-1965 World's Fair. Of course, that would be in the future when he joined this project. And he also has claims to fame as an animator working both on Peter Pan and Lady and the Tramp. This combo of Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump had one struggle with the story moving forward with the visions of these two Imagineers around how scary the ride would actually be made. So Raleigh was on the side of pushing the weird and scary side of this ride while Yale was a little bit more reserved and not necessarily as gung-ho about the scary aspect. So this was a tonal struggle with the Haunted Mansion that started very early in its production, and as we continue to talk about the attraction, it's one that had a lot of back and forth before we got the attraction as we know it today. Now, with these new Imagineers brought onto the project, they actually started advertising this attraction in 1961 with handbills passed around the park. And the original advertisements were saying that this ride was planned to open in 1963. They did go ahead and start construction on the facade for the Disneyland attraction of the manor itself, which they designed to look like an old antebellum mansion to fit with the theming of New Orleans Square. The later iteration at Disney World would take more of a Dutch Gothic vibe to fit with the theming for Liberty Square. One really important component in the construction of the facade that I want to get into here, but before we talk about it, I want to ask you, Matthew, when you think of the exterior of the Haunted Mansion, or just the Haunted House in general, what exactly do you picture? What are key features that come to mind? So for me, and I, I'm basing mine off of the Disney World. That's, you know, where I've been to, haven't been to Disneyland that we always reiterate on all these episodes. So I think about the graveyard that's outside the sort of on the top of the hill that's got all of the puns and everything. There's the carriage out front that you get to take some wonderful photos. Definitely the um, the falling apart nature. That's how I picture it. But in a pure Disney way, because we've done so many of these episodes, like I realize how structured it is. So that's how I pictured in my brain is that it is perfectly designed to look unkept, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so that's what the Imagineering team was thinking of as well, because when you think of a haunted house, a lot of times you think about this abandoned structure that's in like a state of disrepair. But of course, that's going to be something that Disney Imagineers would be paying careful attention to of how the disrepair was constructed, how that would fit into the narrative. And so they had worked on some very careful mock-ups, brought them to Walt Disney, and he looked at them and he said, absolutely not. At this time, Disneyland was still looking to get its foothold, to distinguish itself in the theme park world. And Walt was very particular about my park is going to be pristine. Every time you come to Disneyland, it is going to be a very clean, well-kept experience. And so Walt completely rejected the idea of the mansion appearing disheveled or in any state of disrepair from the outside. 
and wanted the exterior to be kept as pristine as the rest of his park. In fact, he famously said, we'll take care of the outside and let the ghosts take care of the inside, meaning that from the inside, everything would be grimy, disrepair, what you would think of from a haunted house, but the outside would keep that pristine Disney appearance. Huh, okay. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. And I'll be honest, that's something I hadn't thought of before, and I will say in later years, for the attraction that we're more familiar with, Matthew, in Liberty Square at Walt Disney World, they've backed off of that a little bit now, in the sense that at least the foliage around the house is not kept to the same standards as the rest of the park. Got it. They let the foliage in that area, the trees and some of the plants, get a little bit overgrown to give it a little bit more of that stereotypical appearance. Okay, makes sense. Now, once they had gotten all that down, they were working on the facade for the house, and it was up in Disneyland by 1963, as promised. But the ride itself was far from completion. It actually wouldn't open for another six years due to the previously mentioned delays with the World's Fair preparations and the struggles with finding the story. When they were originally making the facade for the mansion, it was still planned to be a walkthrough attraction at that time. Wow. It wasn't until after the World's Fair, which we'll get into a little bit as well, that it shifted. So during this long period that guests were expecting the ride to be open, that from the exterior, it looked like it was finished and ready to go. They ended up putting a sign up on the gate that was advertising the property as a sort of retirement home for ghosts, asking them to basically come to the mansion for retirement and populate the mansion over the six-year period while they were working out all the kinks and getting things ready. Wow, that's that's a really good story with like a way to like play it off as like a joke and humor. That's got to be so disheartening if you, you know you're going to Disney and you're just like seeing it. And that was, you know, back then, you know, you don't have the internet like we have now. We can watch videos and figure out what's going on. But to see every time you're going every couple of years and you're just like, there's this mansion, it's still there, nothing's there. And it's just like, oh my gosh, that, that's got to be disheartening. There are so many stories of people coming to the parks and just like literally grabbing the bars of the gates and staring at the mansion, just wondering like, when are these gates going to (laughs) open so I can get in there? (laughs) Now, after the World's Fair, focus was shifted from the Haunted Mansion project to completion of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction first. As we know from the Pirates episode, that opens before the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland actually opens its doors. So that also prolonged its opening. Much like the Pirates attraction, the shift from the early designs of a walkthrough attraction were shifted with new technologies pioneered at the World's Fair. One of these technologies, the People Mover Ride System that was developed for Ford's Magic Skyway, was the predecessor for the Omni Mover Ride System that they would use in Adventure Through Inner Space that Haunted Mansion would also adopt. They also pioneered a new audio system that was ultimately used for the ride. The Omni Mover Pods for the Haunted Mansion were originally chained into groups of 20 pods, with the first pod using a dynamo to charge a 12-volt motorcycle battery to generate power for the system as the vehicle, also known as a Doom Buggy, moved forward. Rooms that the Doom Buggies would move through used six different radio channel frequencies to broadcast to pairs of pods to time the narrations to each set of pods in perfect timing. Now, that system is a little bit outdated. They now use an RFID scanner system, but that was certainly a concern when they shifted to this new system is making sure that every guest gets 
the same experience and perfectly timed audio paired with the sights that they're seeing. That's really cool. And what I really gained from all that, what the main takeaway that I want our folks, our fans to hear, this is all because of the people mover. So if you can thank the people mover, one of the greatest rides at Disney, it's all because of the people mover. So thank you, people mover. One of the greatest ride system ever pioneered. <laughs> oh, I love that ride. All right. <laughs> After the World's Fair and the successes in the development of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, legendary Imagineers that worked on Pirates of the Caribbean, Mark Davis and Claude Coates, who Claude Coates also known for his animation work on the street scenes in the animated Pinocchio. Both of those Imagineers were diverted to work on the art and story direction for The Haunted Mansion. So now we've got four different cooks in the kitchen for the story design and character design for this attraction. That tonal struggle that we mentioned before, that only increased as these two came on. As Mark wanted to make this more of a comical angle, believing that his comedic stylings on Pirates of the Caribbean were the main success for that attraction, whereas Claude wanted to make it scarier and more serious, believing that his elaborate set dressings were responsible for the success of Pirates of the Caribbean. So you had a very happy haunts versus thrills and chills tonal struggle that was intensifying with the more cooks he got in the kitchen here. All these tones, man, I just can't even picture some of them. It's two very different flavors, and the Imagineers really thought you needed to have one or the other, and they had really strong opinions about which one. After Walt Disney's death, this struggle only continued and got more intense. He was the leader. You followed what Walt said. And so when Imagineers were pitching ideas, what Walt liked stayed, what he didn't went. And so some of the earlier elements that were actually included in this attraction, including a Museum of the Weird that was designed by Raleigh that had the full support of Walt Disney prior, were actually shut down after Walt Disney's death, never to be realized in the final attraction. With all of these different elements and a decade's worth of material fighting for basically supremacy in the final ride, Imagineer X Atencio, originally a Disney animator, was brought on board after his work on Pirates of the Caribbean to continue in his new line of work, writing the cohesive story and ride narration. So it was his task to assemble and condense this almost a decade's worth of story elements and ideas. It's also worth noting X Atencio also wrote the lyrics to the ride's main theme, Grim Grinning Ghosts, along with composer Buddy Baker. My goodness, what a task. <laughs> now, ultimately, with all of this going on, there was a compromise that was reached, as anybody listening to this podcast that has written The Haunted Mansion will realize. Neither side of the argument was sacrificed. The beginning of the ride took a dark, scary angle, whereas the end of the ride took a more comedic and jovial surrounding. So when you think like riding through the graveyard scene, you're having a bunch of goofy ghosts doing all their sorts of stuff. You have your singing busts and your hitchhiking ghosts. And so ultimately, Exotensio was able to pull these two completely separate tonal shifts and bring them together into the one attraction that we know and love today. And so after this long history of development, the ride finally opened at Disneyland on August 9th, 1969. 14 years after the opening of Disneyland, and it was a huge success from the start, and it's been one of the most classic Disneyland attractions today. But 
but what about Small World? No, get that out of here. It's all about the Haunted Mansion and these hills. Look, Grim Grinning Ghost is also a song that's going to get stuck in your head, but I don't hate it when it's stuck in my head. But it's a good song. (laughs) At the end of the day, if the ride shuts down and you get trapped on Haunted Mansion, that's just more to see. You get trapped on Small World, you're done. You're done for the day. <laughs> it's over. The It's a Small World After All is going to be stuck in your head forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. <laughs> now, of course, the opening of the Disneyland attraction was not the end of the construction of Haunted Mansion. The next Haunted Mansion to open would be at Walt Disney World. And as the ride was planned for development at the new Magic Kingdom theme park in Florida during construction of the Disneyland attraction, duplicates of everything were actually built during the construction of the Anaheim project and shipped all the duplicates to Florida. So the Haunted Mansion was an opening day attraction at the Magic Kingdom, opening its doors on October 1st, 1971, just two years after the Anaheim opening. Now, since a lot of the elements were duplicated, a lot of the elements of these two attractions are very, very similar. There are a few main differences to note. Obviously, as we were discussing earlier, the exterior facades for the attraction are very different in terms of their theming set to the different park areas, aka New Orleans Square versus Liberty Square. In terms of your entrance into the attractions, you go through the back at Walt Disney World as opposed to the front of the mansion at Disneyland. The portraits in the hallway and busts in the library on the ride at Disney World are actually in the queue at Disneyland. Disney World has a dedicated piano scene, while Disneyland has the piano in the attic. And last but not least, the grand staircase scene at the Walt Disney World attraction, that kind of M.C. Escher-esque room, is exclusive to that attraction and was added in 2017. But otherwise, the two attractions are pretty similar. There are a few other small differences that we'll touch on later as they are popping up, but those are the biggest ones to note. Hmm. Now, moving forward in the history, a lift of the Walt Disney World Haunted Mansion opened in Fantasyland at Tokyo Disney on April 15th, 1983, and this attraction was opened in Fantasyland along with the cultural perception as ghosts of more of a fantasy fairy tale element there, and this was the last true haunted mansion that has opened. Now, there are two other very similar attractions, one being Phantom Manor, opening at Disneyland Paris on April 12th, 1992, and lastly, Mystic Manor, opening at Hong Kong Disney on May 17th, 2013. The Phantom Manor version of this attraction is located in Frontierland at Disneyland Paris, aka the Ravenswood Manor, And the story behind this attraction, it was owned by Henry Ravenswood, founder of the Big Thunder Mining Company at Big Thunder Mountain, as we get into in our episode on Big Thunder Mountain. And in addition to this unique story, it is set around Western theming, and this is the only iteration that actually does look abandoned and in disrepair from the exterior because it fits into the theming of that part of the park. Hmm. Now, Mystic Manor is the most different of all the attractions. Due to cultural issues with portraying departed spirits, this ride instead focuses on a Lord Henry Mystic and his monkey Albert that the monkey basically tampers with an idol that Lord Henry Mystic had acquired, which makes all these objects and paintings in the manor come to life and animate. It's also worth noting that this is the only version of a haunted mansion type attraction 
to stray away from the Omnimover system in favor of a trackless ride system. It's kind of baloney to blame it on the monkey, if you <laughs> ask me. Unfortunately, I've never ridden that attraction. I have spoiled it a little bit in my research and seen some scenes from it. And I'll tell you, man, that monkey is mischievous. But <laughs> the true person to blame is Lord Henry Mystic, because uh, we'll just say that idol was not obtained legally and he should not have it. Ah, that tracks. But with uh, the opening of Mystic Manor, there is no Haunted Mansion-esque attraction at Shanghai Disney. And so that is the last type of Haunted Mansion attraction that we have opening around the world. And so with that, Matthew, I think it's time for your favorite part of Q for Two. Let's get into that official ride description. Woo! Uh, I've got to tie my shoe real quick. Okay, I'm in the car. Let's go. The disembodied voice of the ghost host is your private guide through the cadaverous realm of an eerie, haunted estate, home to ghosts, ghouls, and supernatural surprises. Glide past a casket-filled conservatory, Madame Leota's chilling seance room, and a ghostly graveyard of singing specters as you attempt to find your way out. Beware of hitchhikers. These phantom pranksters may follow you home. Happy haunting. That's it. That's all we got. Wow. What a description. I know we say this every week in, week out. Absolutely wonderful. I'm going to start doing that before I go on all these rides next time we go. I'm going to read through all of them before every single ride while I'm in the queue. You should uh, read through it, memorize it, and then everybody you're waiting in the queue with, just recite to them the <laughs> official ride description to get them all, uh, all prepared. Oh, that would be perfect. <laughs> oh, gosh. Matthew, before we move on to our fun facts, there are some notable attraction updates that I want to run over for the Haunted Mansion briefly. Now, most of these updates are going to be for the Disneyland attraction. Very, very early in the Disneyland attraction history, there was a string effect that would make it feel like you were moving through cobwebs on the attraction. There was also the famous Hatbox Ghost both of which were removed within the first few months of the attraction opening. The string removal, it's just hard to maintain, hard to keep that effect going. Right. Cut it out, not much lost. The Hatbox Ghost was a little bit different. So for those of y'all that don't know, basically the effect of this ghost is you would see his head on his shoulders where it should be, and then the head would disappear and appear in his hatbox. This was originally just a simple lighting effect, shining light on two different heads. And when they were doing testing for this animatronic, the lighting conditions were different in the original testing location than they were in the attic scene that the Hatbox Ghost was incorporated into. And so when they put him in the actual location for the attraction, the ambient lighting just didn't work with this effect. You could see both of the heads and the effect just fell apart. Oh, that's horrible to hear. They tried to tweak it, they tried to get it to work, and Imagineers were just so unhappy with it, they pulled it. Now, later on down the road, this animatronic was actually modified by Imagineer Daniel Joseph completely in his free time. He was working on this project like in his garage, on his lunch breaks, and on his free time at home. Wow. And he perfected the Hatbox Ghost effect, and they actually brought it back in 2015 to the Walt Disneyland attraction. Wow. Now, Matthew, neither of us have gotten to ride the Disneyland attraction yet, and so we haven't seen the Hatbox Ghost because we've only been to Disney World. But Matthew, the Hatbox Ghost 
is coming to Disney World this year, 2023. Wow. Is it Jared Leto? (laughs) On the ride? No, it is not Jared Leto. (laughs) But maybe you are alluding to a different Hatbox ghost. No, but I'm super excited about this. I have definitely caught on to the Hatbox ghost hype, and I'm excited to see him at Disney World coming soon. So be on the lookout for that. For all you future listeners, he might already be there. Wow. Yeah, that's actually really exciting because the way you described that, honestly, I'd seen pictures, but never really like put two and two together that that's what it was. And so like hearing that description, that's actually a really cool, I don't want to say a cool like party trick. That's a really cool like anime, like a cool design, I guess. That's a good idea. So I'm very excited to see that in person. Well, and they've definitely upped the ante on the effect. Now the main head actually drops into the body cavity to help it disappear. Okay. And then there's like a curved mirror in the hat box itself now that projects an image of the head. So the effect itself is different, but it looks clean. It looks very, very good. Oh, yeah, I bet. That's cool. I'm excited. Now, just a couple other updates to go over that I think are worth noting. In May of 1970, the original graveyard was removed outside of the attraction for a longer queue. Now, the gravestones were eventually replaced, but then when the attraction went through a certain holiday overlay for the first time in 2001, when they went to place the tombstones back outside, they didn't know where they went. They lost the tombstones. <laughs> oh, no. So <laughs> gosh. from 2001 to 2016, there actually wasn't a graveyard at Disneyland. And then they remade the tombstones in 2016. And so it is there now. But yeah, they did a holiday overlay and then they went to put them back out and they were like, where are the tombstones? I thought you had them. What do you mean? Someone definitely took them and they're in someone's like private garden somewhere at the foot of their like their flower beds. That's yeah. Someone someone knew where they went. <laughs> well, and it's funny you mentioned that, Matthew, because there has been a lot of overturn and a lot of props within the Haunted Mansion itself because there has been a ton of theft over the years when the ride has broken down of people getting out of the pods and like grabbing stuff from the show scenes. Wow. Got to keep those arms and legs in the car at all times, folks. You do not want to get caught and banned from Disney for the rest of your life. Please stand clear of the doors and avoid engaging in black market dealings. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of contraband Disney stuff out there. Oh, man. In the late 70s, the bride animatronic received a major update in the attic and was changed again in the 90s. In the summer of 1985, They actually incorporated live actors into the Disneyland attraction, putting a few cast members in suits of armor and actually had them reaching out at families and scaring them. Oh, wow. Now, as a precautionary measure, they gave those cast members basically like a little panic button that if something unexpected happened, they could stop the ride. And uh, yeah, this ended up happening a lot and led to a lot of unnecessary downtime. And so this lasted about one to two years, and then you don't see live actors on the attraction anymore. There was an update for Madame Leota, the floating head, for the 50th anniversary edition, and there were some pop-up ghosts originally in the attic that were removed in 2006 and replaced with portraits with disappearing heads, and the bride that we discussed earlier was replaced with a digital projection. And essentially, those are all the big updates to the attraction, As I mentioned before, there have been several smaller ones over the years, especially with objects being stolen, 
But we're not going to get into all that minutia. Those are the big ones. Yeah, I heard it here. Maybe first. Maybe not first. Depends on how if you did your homework before coming to this episode. This is where I heard it first, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's about going to wrap it up for our history of the attraction. So now we're going to move on to our fun facts section. Now, Matthew, this is our season one finale of Q42. What? Our first season of this podcast. So I want to do something a little special with our fun facts section for this episode. Make them fun? For the first time on this <laughs> podcast, we'll make them fun. Actually, in a way, we are going to do a fun little new thing with this. And guess what? Listeners at home, you too can play along in a new game I call... Fact or Phony? Oh, no. Okay. There are a lot of facts about the Haunted Mansion. Some facts are more famous than others, and some of those are not actually facts. Okay. I am going to present you with 10 different facts about the Haunted Mansion, and what I need you to do is tell me, is it a fact or is it phony? All right, let me grab my pin. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. For all of y'all listening at home, each question that you answer correctly will get you one point. Now, Matthew, here we go with your first fact. When you give your answer, give our listeners at home a chance to pause the podcast, count down your answer with a three, two, one, and give us your answer. Okay, I got it. Your first fact, the face of Walt Disney is utilized for one of the 999 happy haunts on this attraction. Three, two, one. My answer is going to have to be fact. The fact that there are 990 of them, you said, there has to be one. Because again, you mentioned before, there was talk about him being the host of one of the tours. I think that made its way into him being one of the faces. So I'm going to say first fact is a fact. This is a very, very commonly spoken of fact. And so many people believe this. It is phony. Oh, okay. This is a very common phony fact. Now, one of the most pointed to faces that people think is Walt Disney is one of the singing busts of the Melatones that essentially shares a very similar face and mustache to Walt Disney. However, this is actually the iconic Thurl Ravenscroft, who, you know, I love talking about who people voice and everything outside of the attraction. Thurl Ravenscroft is the singer for You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, in the original Grinch cartoon. Oh, wow. He has voiced the Red Parrot named Fritz in the Tiki Room and Buff in the Country Bear Jamboree. But my favorite, he voiced Tony the Tiger up until 2004. Woo! But he gets confused with Walt Disney all the time on the attraction. But Walt Disney's face is not one of the 999 Happy Haunts. Okay. All right. I'll take that one on the chin. Your second fact. The original Haunted Mansion is based on a real-world location. Three, two, one. All right, I'm going to have to say fact again. 
eventually I'm going to be right. So I'm going to say fact. Something with New Orleans that you're bringing up earlier, I think they had a bunch of different places in mind. I'm going to have to say fact. Well, Matthew, you are rewarded to sticking to your guns because this is indeed a fact. Woo. To give a little bit of background to this, Walt himself visited the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California for the inspiration for the inside of the manor. Now, the exterior of the Disneyland attraction is also based on a real-world location called the Shipley Lidecker House in Baltimore, Maryland. For the Disney World version, this is also based on a real-world location the Harry Packer Mansion in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Did not know that, but the Winchester Mansion being one of his like things you're basing off of, that makes sense. Because if for our listeners out there, if you've never looked up anything about the Winchester Mansion, you should, because it is a trip, man. That mansion, that's got a lot going on, and that makes total sense. <laughs> it is a location that I've heard a lot of people have talked about having what they feel are real paranormal experiences and oh, yeah. parts of that house that just don't make logical sense. Stairways to nothing. Yeah. All kinds of crazy stuff like that. It sounds like the perfect location to draw inspiration from. All right, Matthew, you're one for two. Here we go into fact number three. There is a real world mansion modeled after the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. Three, two, one. Again, I'm going to have to say fact. There's a lot of rich people, especially in California. There's got to be a fan of Disney that modeled it after that. I'm going to have to say fact. You gave me two in a row. You know Disney fans have no limits. This is a fact. Yep. There is a four-story, 10,000-square-foot <laughs> mansion built in 1996 in Georgia that was modeled after the Disneyland Haunted Mansion. Currently, it is occupied by the builder, but the market estimate is somewhere around $600,000 for this house. And it's funny, this mansion, Disney actually let the builder come in and measure dimensions of the actual attraction to be able to build this mansion in Georgia. Wow. Did you let me make sure I heard that right. You said 600,000, that's it? It seems low, right? That does seem low. Now, huh. My understanding is this has never actually gone on market. To market, right. This is some of the estimates that I've seen floated around. Hmm. It seems low to me. I feel like it would be more than that. Yeah, I would think so. Interesting. That's also interesting that it's in Georgia and not California. So maybe that has to do with it, but still 600,000. Interesting. And of course, it is not for sale right now. The original builder is still living in there with his family. And of course, the inside looks nothing like the Haunted Mansion, (laughs) but the exterior is basically a one to one. Okay, cool. Moving on to fact number four. The remains of several deceased humans exist within the Haunted Mansion as part of the ride. Three, two, one. Okay, I know this is going to be a tricky one, but I'm going to say this is phony. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that try to dump their ashes, like we talked about with the Pirates of the Caribbean. So you know there's going to be people that try to dump their ashes and different things on the ride. But I'm going to say that, no, we did not allow that. There are several instances, like you said, of people dumping ashes onto the ride of loved ones but they are not kept on the ride. This is phony. 
Woohoo! There are no human remains that stay on the ride. Now, when people dump ashes on the ride, the ride has a very sophisticated surveillance system with multiple different camera angles that have cast members watching. And when they see human remains dumped on the ride, they have to shut the entire ride down, bring in a whole biohazard team since you're dealing with human remains, and essentially do a deep clean of the ride. And from what I could tell, this happens relatively frequently. Most recently, I saw a report from 2019 that this had happened. That's what we were mentioning earlier, and I don't want it to sound creepy, but it might still come off that way. When you're riding these rides at Disney, they are watching. Just because it's dark and you can't see them doesn't mean that there aren't people constantly watching. So please, unless you just want to get banned, just don't do this kind of stuff. Like you're going to get banned for life. If you just don't care, you don't care. But you will get found. You're not going to get away with it. A hundred percent. This is something that Disney is not going to take lightly. And so they are watching for this and they know that this is a thing that that happens. Just don't. (laughs) Don't spread your loved ones on this attraction. That's not where they're going to rest eternally. They're going to be scooped up into a biohazard bag, and that's where they're going to be. And that's not something anybody wants. Well, Matthew, you are three for four right now, I believe. Hey, that's passing. I'll take it. All right. So we're going to move on to fact number five. The pipe organ in the ballroom at the Walt Disney World location is a prop from the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Three, two, one. I'm going to have to say true on this one. I don't know it for a fact, but with how much we've talked about things getting reused and removed from rides and putting on other ones, this makes sense to me. We know, going back to the Winnie the Pooh episode, that there are a lot of nods to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in the Walt Disney World parks. Matthew, this is a fact. Heck yeah. That pipe organ was originally brought to Tomorrowland in the 1950s for a walkthrough attraction based around 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and then when that attraction closed, they found use for it in the Haunted Mansion. Always. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Moving on to fact number six. Each ghost in the Haunted Mansion is a unique character design. Three, two, one. Okay, this is tricky because there are 990 of them, so you would think they would have to redo some of them. But I'm going to say that that... Wait, hold on. Did you say that they're all unique or that some of them are copied? I've confused myself. (laughs) Each ghost in the Haunted Mansion is a unique character design. Okay, I'm going to say true. This seems like something that they would go the extra mile for Disney magic, and I'm going to say that's true. This is phony. Oh, man. Okay. It seemed like a lot, but I I took the risk. So as we know, for even the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, they reused several faces for animatronics. And in fact, most of the ghost faces on this attraction are not only duplicates of each other, but duplicates from other attractions, namely Pirates of the Caribbean that was developed at the same time. And in fact, you can actually see one grandmother ghost in a rocking chair that is almost an exact replica of the grandmother from Carousel of Progress. It makes sense, again, and it doesn't change the ride at all, but something about it just screamed of like, 
if they were 990 and they claim that number, that they really put in the effort to say, no, they're all going to be the same. But from a workload perspective, I wholly understand <laughs> to redo some of those designs and copy them over because it doesn't take away from it at all. So that makes sense. Our next fact. The tombstones outside of this attraction have several names based on Imagineers that worked on the attraction. Three, two, one. I'm going to say that that is true. Not all of them are referencing Imagineers. I think there are some referencing rides and other things along those lines, but I believe that to be true. Matthew, this was a gimme. This is a fact. Oh, yeah. Of course, the Imagineers are going to be referenced outside of this ride, 100%. And so as we talk about Imagineers in this episode, you can take a look for yourself in the queue and try to spot those little references. Our eighth fact. The name of the theme for this ride, Grim Grinning Ghosts, written by Imagineer Exitensio, is actually a Shakespeare reference. Three, two, one. I'm going to say that this is true as well. Nothing against X and his talent, but I think it's more talent to reference the great William Shakespeare. So I'm going to say that's true. For double points, care to wager a guess as to which Shakespeare play you think this is referencing? Uh, No, I'm not a betting man and I'm going to take my points because if I get this right, I'm passing this test. So I'm going to leave it as it is. <laughs> this won't make you lose your points. Oh, I'm just giving okay, you an I'm opportunity for free points. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Macbeth. Yeah, it's not Macbeth. Okay. Yeah. But it is a Shakespeare reference. <laughs> <laughs> this is a reference to a Shakespeare work called Venus and Adonis, where Shakespeare says death is described as a grim grinning ghost. Ah, classic. So fun little hidden reference there. Moving on to fact number nine, many of the trees around the Disneyland version of this attraction were originally planted in Frontierland. Three, two, one. I know when we were doing some of the other rides, they've talked about a lot of the trees. Like with Jungle Cruise, they brought in a lot of trees and they really enjoyed reusing those trees because, again, trees take a while to grow. So I'm going to say this is again true. These trees were transplanted from a different area of the park, but not Frontierland. This is phony. Oh, come on. Oh, that's a that's a tricky one. I was on the right path. These tall trees called funeral cypress trees were originally planted at the entrance of Tomorrowland and remained there from 1956 to 1966 after which they were removed and transplanted over to the Haunted Mansion. So I was right. They did move the trees. Wrong part. Makes sense. Okay. Just for clarification, you were wrong. Well, (laughs) tomato, tomato, you know what I mean. (laughs) All right, Matthew. This is your last chance for points. Our 10th fact. The white hearse in front of the Disneyland attraction was originally used to transport the corpse of historic Mormon patriarch Brigham Young. Three, two, one. Okay, let's think this through. Brigham Young, BYU, classic, 
football reference. We all know Walt Disney was a huge football fan, so I'm going to have to say this is true. This fact is plastered everywhere over the internet as a huge fact about the Disneyland version of the Haunted Mansion. (sighs) Brigham Young was never even transported in a hearse. This is phony. Oh, okay. A couple of interesting facts about this that are true. The white hearse at Disneyland was purchased as a prop to be used in the unrealized Indiana Jones stunt show that once that show never came to be, they ended up moving it out in front of the Disneyland Haunted Mansion. Now, there is a black hearse at Walt Disney World that has a little bit of interesting history as it was used as a prop on the John Wayne film, The Sons of Katie Elder, in 1965. It's also kind of fun when you see these hearses. They're hooked up to bridles for horses that essentially like an invisible ghost horse that isn't there. Yep. This was an idea from our good old Imagineer, Mr. Tony Baxter. And as another fun little tip, if you stand next to it for long enough, you can hear it making horsey sounds. Love it. That's one of my favorite photo ops at Disney World is taking the photo right there in front of that little hearse. It is indeed a great photo op. And now you will know the true history behind the hearse. There is some great history behind both of them there. But just one fact that's spread around a lot that is not actually true. Well, if I did my tally right, I got 60%, 6 out of 10. I'll take that. You asked a lot of Disneyland questions. That's a pass in my book. I'm curious to hear what our listeners got. Definitely probably beat me, but I'll take a pass. For all of our listeners, go ahead. Post your score in the comments. We would love to hear how you did on our little trivia game. Well, thank you for playing our little game, Matthew. I hope you had fun. I certainly did. I did. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple other areas of fun facts I want to talk about. I've subdivided these into a couple of special sections. First off, I want to talk about some of the special effects used in this attraction. Now, again, if we talked about every special effect in the Haunted Mansion, we would be here for hours. So I'm going to try to hit some of the high points. There is a 1963 movie called The Haunting, that ends up being the inspiration for several of the special effects on this ride. Arguably, the most iconic special effect on the Haunted Mansion could be considered to be the iconic stretch room scene at the beginning of the attraction. Now, at the Disneyland attraction, this actually serves a utility working as an elevator to bring guests 12.5 feet underground. Originally, this was needed as guests would need to pass underneath the train tracks in order to get to the actual show building that exists behind the facade of the mansion at Disneyland. Now, there are actually two of these elevators that are built as part of the original design that were built back when this was still planned to be a walkthrough attraction, as in order to increase capacity, they were actually going to do two duplicates of the same walkthrough attraction to get twice as many people through at the same time. Okay. By the time they had converted this to an Omnimover type ride, they had already built this part of the attraction, and so they kept the two different elevators. Now, this effect became so iconic that even though they didn't need an elevator at the Disney World attraction, they went ahead and put it in, but rather than bringing guests below ground, at Disney World, the ceiling actually rises. Honestly, I had no idea. 
I guess my brain has always said that you're going down because of the Disneyland, because that's what I had read, not even realizing that the ceiling's going up there. Wow. Makes a lot of sense, because you don't feel like you're falling or going down. Interesting. It's kind of funny, too. So the iconic portraits on the wall stretching in that scene, I never thought about it before. These portraits are not the original portraits that were on the attraction. In fact, the portraits are actually quite different from the original art because this attraction was made before they had photocopy technology. As the portraits are stretching, there is friction over those portraits, and so they actually have to be changed out at least every couple of years. And originally, when they had to change them out, they had to completely paint them from scratch. And now they're at the point where they have duplicates, and so now you'll see the same consistent paintings over and over and over again, but they're pretty far from what the original paintings were. Huh, that's cool. Also, if you tend to linger back in that room and wait to leave, the gargoyles on the walls at the Disney World attraction will actually whisper to you to get out of the room. <gasps> no way. I did not know that. I've always been so gung-ho to get out and get on the ride. I've never even thought to sit there. I'll have to sit there next time. Yeah, so if you're not in a rush, hang out below one of the gargoyles and just wait and wait for it to whispered it and get the heck out of there <laughs> do you think it's like is it a cast member or is it like a recorded voice my understanding is that it's a recorded voice with a speaker hidden around the gargoyle okay but i didn't see an official disney posting that talks about it it's a lot of hearsay on the internet but it seems to be a reinforced enough rumor that it sounds like it's true got it now i have only seen that for the disney world attraction i haven't seen that anywhere else okay one of the other iconic effects are the scene-altering portraits. These are portraits that on the Disney World attraction you see on the ride, and at the Disneyland you see in the queue. Now, these portraits have their effect accomplished by the original image being stretched by theater scrim over a sheet of acrylic with an alternate image that will shine through when it's backlit. So you'll see on the attraction, there's like a fake thunderstorm. And when the lightning flashes, you'll see the portraits change. Yeah. There are lights backlighting those portraits that are timed to flicker in sync with the lightning effect. My brain has always just said it's a screen. So that's a <laughs> lot cooler. It's also fun to note that the original designs for these portraits, a lot of them actually had six different stages of metamorphosis rather than just the two. And so it originally was going to be a much more complex layered effect that would almost be, I think of it like um, like the cover of an Animorphs novel. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and if you're interested in seeing what some of those original designs were, check out the link to the Yesterworld video in our description. They have a lot of the original art for this attraction that includes several examples that are pretty neat to look at. Another one that goes hand in hand with the portraits are the busts that you see with the faces that follow you. This is a very simple trick that is essentially just an inverted face that creates this effect. What I didn't know is that this effect was discovered originally in making the Haunted Mansion. Wow, that's really cool. That's what I was going to say. That's one of my favorite effects because it is so simple, but it's so well done and it's, it's so easy to miss. But once you see it, it's such a cool little effect. And I, that's one of my favorites on the ride. 
And it's a very simple effect to accomplish. I figured it had just been around for a long time, but apparently while they were working with all of these props in their Imagineering studio, it was actually Yale Gracie that walked by from behind one of the busts and noticed the effect and they decided to incorporate that into the attraction. Accidental brilliance. Very true. Passive Imagineering. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you pass by the hallway scene, aka the endless hallway effect, You can probably imagine that this is accomplished just with a simple mirror trick placed at the end of a very long hallway. Now, what doesn't make sense is with this being a mirror, you don't see the reflection of the floating candelabra, and you don't see the reflection of your Omnimover vehicle. Matthew, how do you think they would accomplish this? I would say it's a mirror at an angle, because I know when you start angling mirrors, that's when you start throwing things around and things don't quite line up. So it's a good thought. For the blocking of the Omnimover, it's as simple as just putting some theater scrim over the bottom half of the mirror to kind of create that effect. Now, the candelabra is a bit more nuanced. They actually paint the back of the candelabra black. So it is reflected on the mirror, but it blends into the darkness of the hallway so you don't see it. Even easier. I love it. I foreshadowed this from episode one of... Technically not episode one, but our first attraction episode. That's right, Matthew. I'm bringing it back to the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I said we would talk about it. We are talking about the Pepper's Ghost effect once again. One of the most iconic effects that everybody talks about with the ballroom dancing scene of this attraction. Now, Matthew, it's quiz time. Do you remember what the Pepper's Ghost effect is? Oh, yeah. The Pepper's Ghost Effect. I can't describe it exactly, but you got a light, you got a mirror, and you shine some stuff through. And basically what you're seeing in the ballroom is a reflection, more or less. There's nothing actually in the ballroom. It's everything is below you. Yeah, so either below or above, because you do have some ghosts up on the ceiling in this effect as well. That's right. This effect was made by John Henry Pepper, invented the Pepper's Ghost Effect in the 1800s. Essentially, exactly what you said, you have a large pane of glass there is a reflection of an object off stage that leads to this like ghostly holographic projection. Now, since it is a reflection, if you pay really close attention to the ballroom dancing scene, Imagineers weren't thinking about this being a reflection. You'll see the women are actually leading the men in the dance routine, and that has stayed to this very day. Because everything's reverse. Because reflection. Wow, that's a really cool thing. There is kind of a cool fact along with this too. The pane of glass that makes this effect is massive. Essentially, it was crane lifted into the attraction before they finished building the roof, and you would have to destroy a significant portion of this attraction to get the entire pane out in one piece, or get a new pane in in one piece. In 1974, in Disneyland, there were a series of shootings in the park. To my knowledge, no one was hurt. Nobody was actually shot at, but they found 22 caliber bullet holes on several different attractions, including the primeval diorama, the adventure through inner space, and the haunted mansion. One of these bullet holes damaged this massive pane of glass. Imagineers were met with a difficult decision. They had one replacement pane that is hidden somewhere in the attraction that they could have swapped out, but This would have meant that if bigger damage hit this pane in the future, they would have had to like destroy a significant portion of the building to get a new pane in. So they decided, 
This wasn't that big of a deal. They dressed it up to look like a little spider. You can still see the bullet hole in the attraction at Disneyland to this day. Wow. He's a tiny little spider. So that other pain is just sitting there. That's crazy. There's a second pain. So destroy this one. We'll get another one. I think I found it's hidden behind like a fireplace somewhere in the attraction. It's hidden behind a wall somewhere. Okay. If they ever need to use it. Makes sense. Pepper's ghost effect. Very iconic. Now, in terms of effects, I want to end us off with a really big one. Not so much of effect, more of a ride overlay. Matthew, are you familiar with a Nightmare Before Christmas holiday overlay to this attraction? I'm not. Now, Matthew, there's a very specific reason you wouldn't be familiar with that. It's not available at Walt Disney World. Classic. They only do it at Disneyland and Tokyo Disney. Hmm. They introduced the Haunted Mansion Holiday in 2001 at Disneyland and the Haunted Mansion Holiday Nightmare in Tokyo. It's a very elaborate overlay. Not going to go into too much depth into it here. I hope that one day they bring it to Walt Disney World. I would love to experience it. But for fans of The Nightmare Before Christmas, this is a banger. It looks extremely elaborate. It seems like there's a lot of overlays that have you know made their way to Disneyland, and that's about it. So I'd love to see all these overlays make their way to the main Disney World. I realize there's a lot of logistics behind it, and there's probably some other legality and all kinds of crazy stuff with it, but man, that would be awesome to see. This one in particular is such a complicated overlay, too. I think they try to limit it just because it is so technically difficult to get all of this set up. Oh, I bet. But it would be so cool if they brought it to Disney World. Oh, yeah. It is also a fun little nod. The composer of the music for The Nightmare Before Christmas, Danny Elfman, he also did the musical score for The Mystic Manor. Danny Elfman has done a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. Danny Elfman, if you are really into a film's music score and it wasn't done by like Hans Zimmer or a couple of the other big names, it was probably Danny Elfman. Like he's done a ton. Matthew, the next thing I'd like to tackle, I want to talk about some of the characters that are on this ride. Now, Matthew, again, I'm not going to talk about all 999 happy haunts. We would be here forever. Matthew, we're already being here forever. Oh, yeah. But I do want to talk about some of the big ones. Possibly the most iconic character on this ride is your ghost host, the disembodied voice that speaks to you throughout the attraction. But Matthew, did you know that there is a form to the ghost host that you can see on the attraction? No, I didn't. There's actually two different instances where you can see the ghost host's real form. One is a portrait at the wall near the beginning of the ride after you pass the casket with the hand escaping as you start to turn backwards. It hangs on your right before you swivel around to see the grandfather clock. On this portrait, you can see around his neck is the rope that served as his entry into the mansion, and in his hand is the axe that he used to climb down. Because if you remember, when you hear the ghost host at the beginning of the attraction, you... uh you might see his body just kind of uh, dangling a little bit at the top of the tower in the uh, stretching room. I'm going to have to go back and redo that one. (laughs) Don't remember that one. Like I said earlier, adding a hanging in, that makes everything darker. That's a little more subtle, though, compared to some of what you were describing earlier. (laughs) It's a dark detail that does make it into the final version of the attraction, but it is a little bit more subtle than uh, what was described earlier, for sure. Also, you do see another form of the ghost host. In the book The Haunted Mansion Imagineering, a Disney classic by Jason Sorrell, it is confirmed 
that the shadow pianist in the music room is actually the form of the ghost host. Oh, okay. So a couple of forms for your disembodied voice host. Now, one of the biggest stories in this attraction is around the corpse bride in the attic scene, who is now canonically known as Constance Hatchaway, who was originally inspired by an unused Mark Davis portrait for the ride. This bride ghost can be seen possessing her wedding dress, locked away in the attic, clutching a hatchet, which is the murder weapon she used to behead her multiple ex-husbands. As you go through the attic, you're able to see portraits of her with all of her ex-husbands that their head disappears as you pass by. There are a couple of notable things to talk about, and one notable ex-husband in general. One of these husbands, pictured in the attic portraits, is George Hightower, the former owner of the Haunted Mansion. In the stretching room at the beginning of the attractions, One of the portraits shows an elderly Constance sitting on George's tombstone, and it's decorated with a bust of his own head with a hatchet embedded in it. I remember that portrait, but I did not put that together that that was the same uh, same woman. Makes sense. I have never put that together before now either, but so you see the bride in her like elderly human living form, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, that is. Does the name Hightower ring a bell to you, Matthew? No. I mentioned this name briefly in one of our former episodes as a member of the Society for Explorers and Adventurers. Now, George Hightower is not a member, but his brother, Harrison Hightower III, is, and he is the owner of the Hightower Hotel, a.k.a. the version of the Tower of Terror at Tokyo Disney. Oh, so you got a little canonical tie-in between parks, as, as Disney does. We love to see it. Two really iconic groups in this attraction. The first, a group of ghostly minstrels, known as the Phantom Five, appear in the graveyard scene. They are the five ghosts that play a series of different musical instruments. Their instruments can actually be found on the composer's crypt in the queue for the attraction, and you can touch them to have them play the Grim Grinning Ghost theme while you're waiting for the ride. Huh. And lastly, the most iconic, the hitchhiking ghosts. Now, the three hitchhiking ghosts actually have names. Their names are Phineas, Ezra, and Gus. And they are meant to portray three specific types of hitchhikers that you wouldn't want to run into. Now, Matthew, when I say three types of hitchhikers you wouldn't want to run into, what do you think I'm talking about? I'm thinking of murderers. I'm thinking of rapists. And I'm thinking of thieves. So I absolutely agree. Those would be three that I would would not not want to give a ride to, would not want to run into. They kind of encompass those three into one category that fits Gus, a.k.a. an escaped convict. Oh, wow. That's just okay. And then the other two are a little bit milder. One is a con man and one is a mysterious traveler. Ah, classic mysterious traveler. (laughs) You know, you don't want to run into a mysterious traveler while you're while you're on the road. <laughs> and it's it's kind of fun with Gus, the escaped convict. He's actually seen earlier in the ride with an executioner, and he's holding a little file that's foreshadowing his escape from the attraction. Oh wow. Now lastly, Matthew, we're getting the end of our fun facts here. You know I love voices, you know I love actors. There are a couple of big ones that I want to talk about in this attraction. Our ghost host is voiced by Paul Freese, 
who is also the voice of the auctioneer at Pirates of the Caribbean, the voice of Donald's uncle, Ludwig von Drake, and just really randomly, he voices a lot of different holiday characters in those classic Christmas cartoons. He voices Santa and Frosty the Snowman. He voices Jack Frost and a bunch of the other <laughs> offshoots. Wow. Long listing of holiday specials on his IMDb. And then for updates in later years, his voice is mimicked by Joel Leahy, who was the announcer for Planet's Funniest Animals and the Animaniacs. And he does the Spanish lines and a few updates to the Walt Disney World attraction. Okay. The voice of the casket occupant at the beginning of the ride is voiced by none other than Imagineer Exitensio. Madame Leota is played by Imagineer Leota Toombs, who raised Imagineer Kim Irvine, who provides her face for updates to the attraction, and was also the maid in the movie The Muppets Haunted Mansion. Hmm. Now, Madame Leota is actually voiced by Eleanor Audley, known for her work as the voice of Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty and Lady Tremaine in Cinderella. Susan Blakesley, who is the voice of Wanda on The Fairly Odd Parents, voices all the updates. Wow, okay. And lastly, Matthew, we can't have this episode without talking about the smash hit Haunted Mansion movie. Aw, yeah. Now, of course, I'm talking about the 2003 Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie. No, man. 2023, it's going to be a hit. I just know it. It's got such a star cast. But yes, 2003 Eddie Murphy. What a film. <laughs> it's something. And man, a lot of people got really upset at that movie because it strays very far from the established Haunted Mansion canon. Now, obviously, we're going to be dating this a little bit by saying this, but with the new movie, from what I can tell from the trailers, like you said, not only does it have a star-studded cast, it looks very true to the previously established canon within the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see. And that's one thing I noticed the Hatbox Ghost there. As like I said earlier, Jared Leto. Very excited to see this movie. Very curious. There's going to be a lot of people that are, this isn't the, a sequel to the original. No, it's a whole different thing. Same property. That's about all it seems like it's going to share. There's definitely going to be some illusion, little Easter eggs in it, but I'm very excited for that one. But the first one was also very good. I'm really looking forward to it. And for all of y'all listening in the future, drop a comment. Which do you prefer, the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion or the new 2023 Haunted Mansion? It's got Owen Wilson and Jamie Lee Curtis. Come on, what more could you ask for? Wow. Wow, it's a ghost. <laughs> wow. All right, Matthew. Well, that is going to do it for our fun facts section, as we always do with our Disney World attractions. We are going to look to close us out with our hidden Mickeys. There are a fair number of hidden Mickeys on this ride. Do tell. We're going to start off in the queue. You will see a huge bathtub as a grave dedicated to a Captain Culpepper Klein. Allergic to dirt, so he's pickled in brine. He braved the sea and all her wrath, but drowned on land while taking a bath. Tragic story we all hate to hear. Now, when you look on his tombstone, look below the letters R and C in his name, and you'll see a classic hidden Mickey made from a couple of barnacles. Wow. Gee willikers. 
classic. <laughs> when you get out of the outdoor queue and you enter the first room, there is a portrait of Master Gracie above the fireplace that has an aging effect to it. Look closely at the oval border design to see multiple repeating classic hidden Mickeys. In that same portrait, there is actually a hidden Jack Skellington. Oh! When you look at Master Gracie's forehead, there is a little outline of Jack Skellington's head. Oh, wow. And there's actually reportedly 13 hidden tributes to the Nightmare Before Christmas on the Walt Disney World ride as like a little, hey, sorry you didn't get the holiday overlay, but here's this. <laughs> that's actually pretty cool, though. I like when they do more than just hidden Mickeys. That's that's really cool. It's neat. And some of the other ones are pretty cool. Like when you go by the library, there's a couple of books in the library that are novelizations of the Nightmare Before Christmas. When you go in the attic, Constance has a doll of Sally from the movie, a book of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, wow. And even a little Jack Skellington snow globe. That's cool. I'll have to be on the lookout for those because, yeah, I've never noticed those. That's neat. I have definitely never seen the snow globe before, and I definitely wasn't looking for the books, but I sure am going to be looking for them now. All right, Matthew, this is the moment you've been waiting for. In our Thunder Mountain episode, I talked about a hidden Tinkerbell. And I disappointed you, because you were waiting for me to tell you about another hidden character. Well, Matthew, the Haunted Mansion has a hidden Donald Duck. Wow. As you're near the beginning of the ride, and you are passing through the library room, look very closely at the pattern on the back supports for the two purple chairs. How I would advise to look at it, try looking for his hat first at the top. And then you should be able to see his eyes and his beak. It's abstract, but once you see it, it's there. It's totally there. All right. Hat first, then eyes, then beak. Got it. Hat, eyes, beak. Shoulders, nose, <laughs> knees, toe. <laughs> Just a couple more hidden Mickeys. When you go through the ballroom dancing scene, look on the banquet table. In the left-hand corner, you can spot a plate and two saucers that are arranged to form a classic hidden Mickey. There is also an arrangement of plates in the attic on the floor that also form a classic hidden Mickey. To the right of the opera singing lady, you will see a ghost resembling the Grim Reaper. And when you look at his left hand, it's a classic hidden Mickey. Huh. It doesn't really fit. It's really obvious. So if you're looking for it, that one is not hard to see and it is very clearly there. I've never seen it, so that didn't take me out of it, so I'll take that, but next time, yeah, I'll have to look for it. And last but not least, when you are leaving the attraction, in the Pet cemetery, on the left side of the exterior exit walkway, a Mr. Toad tombstone can be seen at the left corner of the Pet cemetery. R.I.P. Well, Matthew, that is going to do it today for the Haunted Mansion. Before I get into... Our last section, talking about some ride tips. Do you have any general ride tips you'd like to share with our listeners about the Haunted Mansion? Uh, I don't think I have any ride tips other than, you know, what we started the episode with. This is an indoor ride. And so on those hot summer days in Florida, especially, this is one of the go-tos. The line can be pretty long, but usually it's covered. I think for the most part, the queue is covered. And once you get inside, it's very, very good. But before you get into this, 
I do want to mention, I don't think we can do an episode talking about the Haunted Mansion, and I apologize. I know we've gone long, so I won't take too long. If you have not heard the theory about as you go through the ride that you die and that as you fall into the graveyard, you go out the window, you die, you go into the graveyard with all the singing animatronic ghosts. That's showing that you have died and now you are your ghost is able to see all of the ghosts in the graveyard. So again, not going to go too deep into that, but I do want to mention that that's one of my favorite theories about the ride. One thing I love about that. So if you haven't seen that, we're not going to go into it right now, but please go look at those videos. There's a bunch of videos and stuff about that kind of like theory. It's a very cool idea. And I really like that idea as you go out the window in the ride. Now, Matthew, I'm sorry, since you brought it up, I have to hit you with a counter theory to that. (laughs) Okay. So the counter theory that I subscribe to, have you ever noticed that before you get to the room with Madame Leota, you don't see any of the ghosts? Right. You hear things, things move around, they're spooky, but you don't actually see any of the ghost beings. Now, the theory I've seen is that with Madame Leota's chant, that bestows upon you the gift to be able to see the happy haunts. Okay. And so while you don't actually die, you require her enchantment to be able to see the ghosts going forward. Got it. I like that too. There's a lot of theories like that, folks. So definitely go look at that. And it's just another reason this ride is phenomenal. And let's start a fan theory battle in the comments. (laughs) Which theory do you subscribe to and why is the other wrong? Let's go. Well, Matthew, I have just a couple of ride tips for this attraction. Number one, gosh, enjoy the queue, enjoy the ride, take in all the details. There are so many details to take in. Even in the queue, look at all the tombstones. Look for those hidden nods to the iconic Imagineers that made this ride. Take a look at the busts of the dreads in the external queue. If you actually pay enough attention to these, There's a little murder mystery that you can solve to kill time while you're in the queue. There are so many details that can occupy your attention. Take it all in. Enjoy it. Now, one really important detail to consider with this attraction, even though there are the goofy elements that we discussed earlier, there are also the scary elements. This can be an intense ride for young children. There are a lot of areas that are dark. There are scary voices, a lot of scary things going on. This is something that you should consider whether or not the ride is right for your young child. Now, one of the scariest portions of this attraction for some kids is the stretching room scene with the disembodied voice, the essentially the picture of the hanging above. That can be intense for some of the younger viewers. If you talk with a cast member, you can actually bypass this stretching room scene and just go straight to the attraction. There's a couple different routes that the cast members can take you by. So if you have young children that are going to be scared of that, might be something you want to ask a cast member about. If you want to be one of the first people to get in line and get to that attraction, once you're inside the stretch room scene, you can stand under the painting of the girl with the parasol. That's going to be where the exit door opens up. So you can stand right there, be the first to get out, or linger behind and listen to the gargoyles, (laughs) whatever pace you're wanting to do. That's good to know. I'll have to make a note of that because I've never remember where the door is. You can't see it. So I'm always just like, I don't know. It's one of these walls is going to open up. So Matthew, if you want to go right to it, you know which painting to stand under. Paracel. Got it. My last tip. 
Matthew, we got to talk about the photo for this attraction. If you want that perfect photo, when you are in the hallway looking at the changing portraits in your Doom buggy, as the lightning is flashing, this hides the camera flash. Your photo is going to be taken when you approach the last canvas in this lineup of portraits. So when you get to that last portrait and you're seeing that lightning flash, smile, do whatever wild thing you want to do for your photo, because that's the photo you're going to get. Gotta love it. It's a good photo. It's I've had some that turned out really bad and I've had some that turned out okay. So it's a good op for sure. Thank you for taking this long journey with me. That is going to be the end of our episode on Walt Disney World's Haunted Mansion. Now, before we close this out for this episode, I did allude earlier in the episode that this is our final episode of season one. Matthew, would you like to tell our listeners what is next for Q for Two? Drum roll, please. All right. (laughs) So for season two, we are going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus for the summer, and we will be going into Six Flags Over Georgia. This might not be something that a lot of people are familiar with. You and I have had a lot of experience together, and we're very excited. It's one of our, you know, one of my favorite theme parks overall. It's a very good park. We got a lot of experience with these rides, and we're excited to talk about a lot of the history behind some of these rides. So very exciting, and I hope everyone's looking forward to it. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun season to talk about. A lot of stories that we have shared together going through this theme park with the year that we both got season passes here. Now, for our listeners that are tuning in just for the Disney stuff, we are going to be returning to the Disney parks in future seasons, but we want to make sure to remember Q for Two. We are looking at a variety of theme parks, not just Disney. Even if you think Six Flags isn't for you, I'd encourage you to listen to this next season because we're going to have some fun history to go over with some very fun rides, and it should be a good time. Exactly. I would also like to mention that even though we will be taking a hiatus between season one and season two with posting the podcast, we will continue with weekly supplemental content uploads over on our YouTube channel. So if you didn't know, on off weeks in between the podcasts, we've been posting supplemental content on Tuesdays on the YouTube channel. Most of our supplemental content has been ride videos from some of our trips to the theme park, usually with rides that we have been talking about in the podcast. So during our hiatus, we will continue with those weekly uploads before the podcast is coming back. So if you're interested, head on over to our YouTube channel and check it out. Well, that cue went... A little longer than expected. Well, we hope you enjoyed the episode and learned something new about this wonderful ride. As always, we'd love to hear your experiences with the attraction or any fun facts you have. Feel free to join our Discord server and join the conversation or shout at us on Twitter or Instagram at q for 2 That's Q-U-E-U-E underscore F-O-R underscore T-W-O. You can also drop a comment on our YouTube channel. All of those links can be found in the episode description below. Now, Go catch that ride, and we will see you in the next Q for Two. Hurry back, hurry back, and be sure to bring your death certificate. If you decide to join us, make final arrangements now. 
We've been dying to have you. 